The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Out of Office, the podcast about life and leadership. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Every week, I bring you a conversation with the newsmaker speaking at a Bloomberg Live Summit. This chat, which we record offstage, is freewheeling and it's informal. And here we go beyond the headlines and talk about things newsmakers don't get asked about on stage or in their offices. Their childhood, aspirations, mentors, first jobs, favorite book, high points, setbacks, downtime, family, and love, because these influences make them who they are and define how they lead. This week, I don't know where life will take me five years or ten years from now, but damn, I'll still be making headlines. My guest is Smriti Irani, one of the most well-known public figures in India. She's a high-profile minister in the government, but she used to be a TV star. She spent most of her career in the limelight, so she's used to making headlines. But in this chat, she lets us in on a part of her life that doesn't usually make the news. We talk about Smriti Irani, the woman, the mom, the wife, the savvy social media influencer. But before any of this, she was a young woman desperate for a job, hungry to succeed. They said all jobs are taken except for the... uh job of people who clean and sweep up and do the dishes. I said, I'll take that. That job was at McDonald's. Since then, Smriti Irani has never looked back. Currently, India's Minister for Women and Child Development and Textiles, we invited her to open the Bloomberg Equality Summit in Mumbai. On stage, she was interviewed by our Deputy Editor-in-Chief, Reda Grigori. The topic, gender equality. Of course, she made some news. Last night we heard a lot about the importance of male allies, male advocates. Who were your advocates early in your one? career? Everyone needs an advocate. Why would I need a male one? <laughs> Did you have female advocates? Why would I need one? I think the presumption is that if you achieve something, that there must have been some crutch that you had, emotionally, financially, administratively. Why can't I be successful because I'm me? You're unique. (laughs) With that as a starting point, I began my podcast with Smriti Irani. Mr. Irani, thank you so much for chatting with us today. That was an incredible session on stage. I, I love the idea when you said we don't need advocates. Tell us what you mean. I mean, the world talks about the importance of having male advocates for women to succeed. I appreciate that the world talks about it. Mm -hmm. There might be many who need that. But I, as a woman, don't. And I think that being a woman is about recognizing what you need and what you don't. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of opportunities to get solutions, Mm -hmm. support. But it depends on you as an individual, whether you want that support or you don't. You don't become less of a woman if you don't. And you don't Mm -hmm. become more of a man if Mm -hmm. you walk the path alone. 
And I think that the belief that women are always in need of support mm -hmm. is also a disabilitating factor. Mm -hmm. For me, I've come from very, very meager means. When my parents got married, they barely had 150 rupees in their pocket. And I began my career with 200 bucks, uh, which by dollar terms is what? Less than $5. Mm -hmm. And I became one of the highest paid actors in the country. Yes. Not because I had a male advocate, but because I was very, very clear that no matter what decision I take, I bear the consequences. And hence, I would listen to everybody, but ultimately do what I deemed fit for myself, for my family, or for my work. This sense of determination you have, uh, the drive that you have, where does that come from? Is it books. family? Books. Okay. <laughs> I think I was very, very lucky that I had a family that left me alone with my books. Um, I did not have any kind of restricted reading. Uh, with the explosion of technology, I have ways and means in now reaching out and getting information which earlier possibly I wouldn't have had. Right. And I have ensured all my life that I study up on things which I do not uh, have uh, dominance on in terms of knowledge. Um, so you make sure you keep educating yourself? More than educating. I think it's about wanting to know more of the world. There is yeah, so the much curiosity. to know. Yes, mm -hmm. and I don't think that you should kill that within you, no matter mm -hmm. what your gender. I think as a person, I have possibly grown because I wanted to go to the next level of understanding, next level of exploring an opportunity. And that streak in me was embedded possibly by my parents. They did not judge me by the opportunities I picked. They did not uh, love me less because of my boisterousness. <laughs> and I think that that is one of the greatest impetus I ever needed. Were you a boisterous kid? No, in fact, I was a quiet one. Really? It's when I started speaking my father said, where were you for all these years? Why wouldn't you speak? Uh, I chose my words very carefully. I mm -hmm. spoke when I was growing up only when spoken to and that too in a sentence or two. So I think when I became 17 years of age, that is when I said, this is what I want. and This is how I want it. And for somebody who's kept quiet for 17 years, people often wonder, where did this come from? <laughs> uh, I think that... Um, I used the first 17 years of my life to gain that experience, mm. to study people. And one of the greatest factors possibly that I was told that you study not only books, you also study people, you also study circumstances, right. surroundings. The fact that you be less judgmental of people helps you study more law. The minister went on to have a long career in the public domain. She became a highly successful TV star, beaming into millions of households across India as the face of a long-running, family-centered soap opera. So you went from being a quiet, sort of more contemplative child to having a long career in, public, uh, in, in the public domain. You were a finalist in the Miss India pageant. Then you have a life as a politician, a leading minister in India. It's always been in the public eye, in the public space. I think that you can be in the public space and yet be private. Isn't that difficult? No, it's not. Very early on in life, uh, a journalist said that we go into the bedrooms of people only when the door is open by the person concerned. Till you keep that door firmly mm. shut, not many people would want to pry into the daily life 
of an individual. Not many people would like to delve in gossip. It is how you conduct yourself as an individual that gives people an opportunity to possibly explore more. And I've always said that I've kept my professional life and my personal quite distant with each other. I have never gone to a workplace and said, I'm here to make friends. I've always said, I'm here to work. That sounds very caustic when it comes from a woman, but damn, I wouldn't lie. Tell me about your family. You know, any working mom at some point in her working life struggles with a little bit of guilt, right? I don't. You don't. So tell us about that because I think that could be a really important lesson for working moms who do struggle with it. I don't think that relationships become healthy when they are imposed with guilt. I think that when a woman gives birth and if it's a conscious choice to give birth, uh, there are many women who don't have that choice. And I think that because I had that choice, I was very, very clear that I'm bringing a child into the world. It's my responsibility to look after that child. But I've also seen how the world turns out with children flying the nest, flying the coop, and how devastated those mums become. Mm. I never made uh, an effort to ensure that my identity is tied up only with that of my relationships. And I think that when you keep those two apart, where you fulfill your responsibility, without that relationship becoming the very core of your being, that is where you kind of distance yourself from the guilt. What I love about you on your social media feed is that you don't make any effort to hide it either. To please. <laughs> to, to please. I think that a lot of our challenges come from the fact that we try to please. We try to please in families. We try to please at the workplace. I think that though at the workplace you have to have that modicum of um, an air of possibly distance at the same time. You Mm -hmm. have to be very affable. At home, your family needs to take you as you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky that my family is that kind of a family where I do not have to don the mask of this dutiful mother and dutiful wife. They love me whether I'm cranky or I've had a bad day in the office or I'm making a mistake as a wife or a mother. And I think that that is one of the um, greatest strengths that I have. And they also know that even if they judge me, or for that matter, anybody judges me at work, I couldn't care less. <laughs> and that's what you want your children to imbibe from you? I think that, um, and I say I think a lot because I do. Um, <laughs> for me, it's very essential. I have a boy and a girl. Yes. That they go away with those lessons. That you want to be in a relationship because you love each other. Not because um, you feel that the other cannot be let go or you feel that the other needs you. I think love should bind you in a relationship and not need, not dependence. And hopefully that is a lesson my kids have learned from me. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Minister Rani's children feature prominently on her social media feeds. She's pretty active on them and certainly very popular. She has 10 million followers on Twitter. Question for you. Is that actually you personally tweeting? Yeah, that's me. It is you. It's, it not, is it's not a PR person or a... No, I don't have any. I never had a PR agent. As so a media person, as a politician. It's all you directly. It's me. All the conundrum is all. (laughs) (laughs) Your children obviously will have a very different upbringing to the one you had, mainly because... I think they had the same one. But they're your children, so people, you know, know them as Smriti Rani's children. They don't. Right? No? How do you manage to keep that? I'm seen nowhere near them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My children, I remember in their growing years, uh, were in competitive sports. At the national level, they're gold medalists. And my daughter and what my son sport do they both, play? Uh, martial arts, in wow. karate. They're second dan black belts. Oh my God, can't third. mess with them. <laughs> um, and they made sure that in no competition, nowhere was I ever seen. They said, because we walk away with our medals because we are weak. And not because some judge got influenced because you were sitting in the audience. Hmm. And I think that for, they both got their black belts when they were 10. So for them to have that understanding at that young an age means something I was done right. And you married your high school sweetheart? The way he sold the marriage idea to me was to say that if you marry any other man, he wouldn't put up with your idiosyncrasies, especially about wanting to work. (laughs) That's very romantic. I was sold. (laughs) Because he says, uh, you are free to do a job of your liking. You are free to have your own job hours. And I couldn't even care less as long as you love me and you come back home. You know, I read that this is what your husband said about you. She was unstoppable, not because she did not have failures or doubts, but she continued on despite them, which I think is is beautiful. He would know. He would know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess in your professional journey, at some point, you must have had doubts and setbacks. How do you deal with a setback? Less doubts, more setbacks. Absolutely. I've had setbacks. The idea of um, I think engaging with the setback is to one, evaluate where you feel yourself. Mm-hmm. We are very, very quick to evaluate the circumstance or other people within that circumstance who led to that setback. I think that one of the greatest lessons I have learned is to be a bit distant from a setback, study it properly and ensure that you do not make that mistake again. In 2014, Smriti Irani contested the general elections in India against politician Rahul Gandhi. She lost. Five years later, she faced off with him again. This time, she created history. You know, you had a phenomenal year this year. Congratulations on your amazing victory in this year's general election in India. That, to me, was again an amazing turnaround story. What was your thinking in the run-up? to the election when you knew you had such an uphill battle? I started studying the numbers, village by village, door by door, Mm -hmm. uh, to possibly come up with a strategy that I deemed fit at that time. Uh, People presumed that there must be a litany of advisors that I have. People presumed that there'll be this huge force of people who are giving me strategies every day. 
And I think what worked best for me is that I went totally by instinct. I knew the people of that place. Uh, I still do. And I knew that they wanted me to deliver on the promises made. And I went village by village and I built it. For me, 2019, uh, when people look at that particular victory, they see it from a gender perspective. Hmm. And I normally tell them, I said, even a man couldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. So kindly do not say mm-hmm. that it was possible because it's a woman. I said, no, do not do disservice to that kind of an effort put Correct. and put it in the silo of only gender. Mm-hmm. It was a revolution of the people against Rahul Gandhi. Mm-hmm. I was just spark. But obviously something connected. It did. And when was you it work, because you're high touch and you went door to door, village to I, village? Is it high I touch? worked with a passion, but I also told people, that if I can't do something, I will be very upfront with you. So you won't sell them a dream that you can't deliver yes. on. Yes. And what built up in the constituency for five years was that if she said it, she'll do it. What built up in the constituency was if you can reach her, she'll get it done. Mm. And I think that confidence is what resulted in the election results of 2019. I think what very few people realize about you, especially seeing someone who's had such a successful career, is that you started off with some struggles. You've worked at McDonald's. You've worked uh, selling cosmetics, I believe, at a market in Delhi. What did that teach you? What influence has that had in your life? When I was selling cosmetics on the streets, I had a lady uh, who stood there, listened to me, and then bought a small bottle. She walked away. She comes back. And she says, do you know why I bought it? Hmm. I said, no clue, but ma'am, thank you for buying it. Hmm. She said, because you speak well. And I had my aha moment then. I was 17. I said, ah, she said, you speak well. And that's why I bought a bottle that I did not need. <laughs> you and convinced her. You had the, the power of The fact that persuasion. I could, um, two things came to mind. One, that she was very open about, there's a lady who's telling me what my strength is. And she and was a stranger. She was an absolute stranger. Um, the experience in McDonald's, I remember I had actually applied for a job in Jet Airways. And the McDonald's counter for employees was next door. Uh-huh. So when I walked into the airline company to get a job as a steward, as a flight attendant, yeah. they looked at me, they said, you don't have the personality to deal with people. I said, fine. And really? I was, that's yeah, I, I mean, that's fine. Uh, and I walked to the next counter, the next room, and I said, which organization is hiring here? They said, McDonald's. And I walked in and I said, I need a job because I desperately needed one. They said all jobs are taken except for the uh, job of people who clean and sweep up and do the dishes. I said, I'll take that. And you didn't Uh, hesitate for a moment? No, because uh, one of the, again, lessons learned was dignity of labor. You just wait for an opportunity. That was my opportunity. I needed a job. The only question I asked them is that how do you make manager? He's like, aren't you an audacious one? Yes. You just walked in. I told you to sweep the floor. You want to be manager. I said, just tell me, how do you get to be manager? Yeah. And uh, he told me the steps. I said, we'll see you in a month. (laughs) Because I'm going to be a manager. Good on you. So I, again, I feel like, I think, and I know, not only do I think, but I know, it depends on you whether you set your goals straight. Uh, don't get complacent when you reach it. Walk to the next one. What's your next one? What's your next goal? I began with no money. 
my goal in life is to have a bank balance, a home and a car. I have plenty of that now. Mm-hmm. My other goal was to have kids who turn out right. Mm-hmm. Because one of the greatest compliments or disservices you can do to your individual self if you bring up a son that doesn't respect women. Yes. And mercifully, I have a good one. Mm. Um, the greatest disservice you can do to your own self is if you bring up a daughter who doubts her own capacity or doubts her place in the sun, under the sun. Mercifully, I have somebody who's as ferocious as I am as a daughter. <laughs> and um, I wanted to live life without regrets. And I have lived it. So at 43, I am content, which is a rarity in this day and age. It's a really good place to be. So I don't know where life will take me five years or ten years from now. But damn, I'll still be making headlines. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for this interview. That was my conversation with Indian Minister Smriti Irani and I do hope you enjoyed it. And remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on the Bloomberg Terminal or on our website, Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter and our handle is simply at podcasts. This is a new series, so we'd love it if you could take a minute to give us some feedback. Please rate and review our show. And I hope you'll join us again next week for more candid, informal conversations with newsmakers out of office. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. You can find me at This Is Malika on Twitter. Thank you for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.